Welcome to this edition of Amazing Creation. I'm your host, Fred Johnson. This show is about the credibility of the scriptures as they pertain to the creation of the world and our origins, and in contrast to the dogma of evolution. The show is produced by the Triangle Association for the Science of Creation. That's shortened to TASC, T-A-S-C, a Raleigh, North Carolina group of scientists and lay folks whose mission is to increase awareness of the scientific evidence supporting the plain, straightforward understanding of the biblical account of creation. Evolution is almost universally now taught in our public schools, colleges, and universities as the origin of all of life we see around us. But there are many, including highly educated scientists, who see evolution not only as impossible, but moreover as untenable when made to stand beside the revealed Word of God in the Bible. Today's guest is Dr. Gerald Van Dyke. Dr. Van Dyke was a professor at North Carolina State University for 38 years, teaching and conducting research in the fields of plant and fungal sciences. He is a TASC board member and a past chairman of TASC. I've known Gerald personally for almost 20 years since I first joined TASC myself. Today, Dr. Van Dyke will be speaking to us about living in relationships between different organisms and how these relationships form. Gerald, let's start by defining for us what you mean by these different living relationships between different organisms. Fred, as you know, there are a number of situations where organisms interact with each other. Uh, In the plant animal and fungal kingdoms, there are relationships that are uh, called symbiosis. And uh, the term actually just literally means um, two organisms or organisms living together. And usually it would be two organisms. And there are many examples of organisms that live together. Uh, We usually characterize these as either mutualistic Uh, in other words, mutual relationships, or parasitic relationships. And mutual relationships would be where uh, organisms benefit each other. So each organism is um, benefiting from this uh, close, uh, intimate relationship between the two of them. Whereas in a parasitic uh, or parasitism, Uh, One organism benefits at the expense of the other. Gerald, can you give us some examples of both mutualism and parasitism? The one that I wanted to specifically talk about mutualism today is the uh, lichen situation. Now, during my research and teaching experience at North Carolina State University, Fred, I've Uh, have done a considerable amount of work in the area of uh, looking at particularly plants and uh, fungal interrelationships. But first of all, let me talk about the um, lichen relationship. And this is a a relationship where a fungus and an alga, which is singular for algae, uh, the algae are photosynthetic organisms In other words, they're like plants having chlorophyll and they can make their own food. So uh, algae, however, when they're not usually in their typical aquatic environment or water environment, they are somewhat vulnerable because they could either dry out or or not uh, be protected 
And so in this case, a fungus encapsulates or surrounds an alga and therefore pro provides protection for the alga from heating and drying out and other ways it might be vulnerable. Now, the shape uh, form of lichens is dictated by the fungus. And before I go any further, I'd like to discuss what I and explain to the radio audience why I'm going to use symbiosis discussion to show another serious problem with evolutionary theories. Uh, the fungus and the alga in this lichen mutualism is a unique structure, and the individual organisms, the alga and the fungus, are not found living by themselves. So when they're found together, they form this unique structure, and we classify it as a lichen. There are numerous kinds of lichens of various shapes and sizes and even various different colors. Now, some people may be wondering um, what, what a lichen is. And so, uh, just for an example, if you look at a tree, and many trees in the Raleigh Triangle area have this sort of greenish-grayish structures that are usually circular, uh, two or three inches or so in circumference and frequently seen on trees, grayish, greenish, uh, there can be other colors of lichens, and sometimes they're found on rocks as well, so you might have seen them there. One might ask, how do they reproduce then if these organisms are not found independent of each other? Because, of course, algae and lichens, I mean, algae and fungi both can reproduce uh, under normal circumstances. Uh, but a lichen is um, simply this um, structure like you see on a tree. It doesn't have reproductive parts as such. But small parts of the lichen can separate from the main body and either float away in water or be blown away in the air. And then when those pieces land, which would be uh, a piece that has both the fungus and the like, I mean the fungus and the algae in it, it could land on a tree or a rock or somewhere and begin growing together uh, again, begin growing into another lichen. Another aspect of the lichens, Fred, is that um, <clears throat> uh, not only do you just see them growing on trees like that, but uh, the relationship here that's formed has other qualities such as particular chemicals that are not found anywhere else in creation except uh, in this lichen structure. For instance, one of the chemicals is uh, the chemical that's used in litmus paper. And for those who've had chemistry classes may remember how you used litmus paper to uh, determine whether something was a chemical, whether, whether a chemical was uh, acid or basic. Um, and that was uh, where the chemistry came from for making the litmus paper. Also, uh, there are actually some very unique dyes that come from lichens as well. And uh, some people who uh, actually specialize in making certain kinds of um, cloth using the dyes from lichens. Uh, 
the, the lichens also have unique uh, survival qualities and they're important in ecological environments. For instance, um, rocks would be a place that is, is not a very hospitable environment for any kind of living organism to grow on, but lichens can begin growing on rocks and the chemicals particularly acids that come from these lichens will often break down rocks and then um, create soils. And that's why if you look at a rock environment, sometimes you'll see lichens growing there. You will also see uh, soil beginning to form and then you can see other uh, life beginning to form, other kinds of plants and things begin to grow. Um, on that environment. So they, they're very important in ecological environments. Really, the part of the point of all of this, Fred, is that um, we can speculate about how it is that these organisms happen to come together in the first place. Now, evolutionists uh, oftentimes, <clears throat> because the way they think, they just make the assumption that organisms did in some way come together in the first place. However, uh, as creationists, we feel like that it has the appearance here that this happened as something that God put together in the first place, not something that just happened by accident uh, because of the uniqueness of lichens. So many of these things in evolutionary thinking are assumed that life on Earth is millions and millions of years old. And, and so again, given enough time, some of these things are thought to have been able to happen. Um, we'll have other programs on our thinking about the age of the Earth because we do not believe that it is millions and millions of years old. And so that's why we think that these relationships are very unique and can only be explained by having uh, happened in from the beginning. Gerald, do you have other organisms you can use in this discussion? Over the years, actually dating back to my graduate years, so that would be more than 40 years, I spent a considerable amount of time, really had a passion for using light and electron microscopes for studying various kinds of organisms and uh, especially uh, plants and fungal interactions. Uh, in fact, that was one of my specialty areas beginning with my PhD, master's and PhD thesis and going up until a few years before I retired, looking specifically at uh, fungal and plant interactions. Now, I gave a talk on this at one of our monthly meetings uh, for TASC, and there is an article in one of our newsletters and can be found on our website. So if somebody would like to go in and, and see the more specific details of this and actually some pictures as well, uh, it relates to a fungus and parasite relationships that are called rust fungi. And... Uh, so these organisms, uh, in this case, since it's a parasitic relationship, the fungus actually benefits uh, from the plant at, at the detriment of the plant. 
And these are what we call obligate parasitic fungi. And this means that these fungi cannot live apart from the plant that it attacks. Here we have a situation involving an organism, a fungus, that will not uh, grow apart from the plant that it parasitizes. Now, evolutionists have an even more serious problem because uh, if their assumption is that somehow these organisms came together and yet there's no real explanation for this because the fungus cannot live independent of the plant, then again, we make the uh, conclusion that they had to have come together somehow uh, apart from an evolutionary process because uh, they can't live separate from each other. So uh, here we have just another example of what we think are miraculous conclusions. Uh, we can't prove a lot of these things about evolution versus creation, but certainly there are good examples in creation that we believe better support the creation model than they do the evolution model. Gerald, thank you for coming today, and we look forward to your uh, joining us in the future also. Thanks, Fred. It's good to be with you. And thanks to you listeners for tuning in. You can find out more about TASC and some good information about the scientific study of the world from the perspective of those who take the scripture seriously at the TASC website, task-creationscience.org. That's T-A-S-C-creationscience.org. There you can learn about TASC's monthly meetings, which are open to the public, subscribe to the monthly newsletter, and read and download previous articles. Until next time, this has been Fred Johnson for Amazing Creation.